may open with a question this morning. If, if I were to ask you what uh, is your personal life goal or goals, what, what, do you, what are you seeking in this life? You know, some people look to retirement or maybe a, a new, new home, a good job, or maybe a promotion at work. Um, we all have goals, we all have objectives, whether, they, whether we um, express them or not, they're deep-seated within us. Um, often our goals are, are shown by where we place our pri priorities, uh, what we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we do with our energy. Um, so we might not express them, but they are certainly expressed by our, our lives. Um, and it's not, it's not really the goal that we have for our family, per se, what I'm talking about this morning. It's our own personal, our own personal goal and objective. If you turn to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, I'm going to open with this. Um, because God has a, a goal for us. God has an objective. He has an objective for your life. And it's expressed here in Romans 8, 28 and 29. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he, that is Jesus, would be the firstborn among, among many brethren. God has an ultimate goal for us. What is it? to be conformed to the image of his son. We know that this will ultimately be realized in eternity in heaven. It's a divine, sovereign will of God. Everyone who believes is destined ultimately to be conformed to the image of his son. However, we also realize, even as Pastor Chris expressed, that in our lives we need to make some decisions because there's a human responsibility involved in this also. We need to cooperate in this life. God doesn't ultimately have the objective for us in eternity. Ultimately, suddenly, we're going to be conformed to the image of his son. No, what he wants to do is to do it through this. Why he's left us here on this earth in this life is so that we can also glorify his son by being conformed to the image of his son. Uh, he, could, he could instantaneously take us to heaven, but he doesn't do that. He wants us to be the representatives of his son here on earth to a lost and dying world. So there's a future promise here. It's guaranteed in heaven, but there's also a, a present pro process. And that process is somewhat flawed, obviously, because we still live in a sin, sinful world and we are sinners. We aren't perfectly obedient. But realistically, God has one ultimate goal for you. And that is to be the conformed to the image of his son. Is your personal goal consistent with God's goal for you? And we're going to be looking a little bit at that, uh, about that this morning. A little bit about that process. But more importantly, how we can um, really determine from our lives, looking at our lives, not what we say, but what our lives show forth. Are we really uh, seeking this in our, in our life? Paul's concept of the ministry was completely consistent with the Father's objective. Colossians 1, 28 and 29, if you look there. In Romans 8, 28 and 29, we really see the ultimate objective of God. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, we see God's process and how that's accomplished. Paul said, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power which works which mightily works within me paul's purpose in his entire ministry was to present every man complete in christ 
And that's a process. And what we see, and this brings us to the text we're going to really be considering this morning, is that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided everything that was necessary to accomplish the Father's goal here on earth, the process, and ultimately in heaven. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 16, but right now I just want to read 11 through 13 to introduce this to us. Paul says, and he gave, Jesus gave, some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Lord Jesus Christ gave gifted men to equip us to, uh, as believers for the work of the service, the work of the ministry. It's, it's an act by which people are given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists and teachers, pastors, teachers, in order that we might serve the Lord to edify the body, that is, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the ultimate purpose of edifying the body, why, why is the body to be grown up and, and to be, uh, be like Christ? Well, the ultimate purpose of building the body here is defined in verse 13. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The ultimate purpose here is really described by three things in this verse, and they're all governed by a preposition to or unto, with a view toward. This idea of attaining is to arrive at or come to, come to this point. The first preposition is the unity of the faith and full knowledge of Christ. Those both things both go together under that preposition. The second one is to a mature or perfect man. And the third is to a, sta a stature defined by the fullness of Christ. Now these aren't really three different things. They're three different views of really the same thing. What it means to attain or come to uh, a mature Christian to a mature believer. There's a word until here, and the until, uh, some people have said, well, this refers to time. We don't really come to attain to be a, a mature Christian until we get to heaven. We've talked a little bit about that, but we're going to see even from the rest of the, this passage that really this passage is primarily talking about what happens here on earth, not what happens in heaven. Uh, it's, it's a destination, right? We say sometimes say until I, I, I went on a diet until I lost 20 pounds. Well, it took time. Obviously, it takes time. But time wasn't the primary objective in view. The objective in view, really, is the accomplishment of the goal. And this idea of until here is the accomplishment of a goal. God's purpose for you as a believer is to accomplish the goal to come to a mature Christian uh, uh, position, a, 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 the, the position of a, a mature or perfect Christian. This word mature is, is translated a, a number of different ways in the scripture. It really is derived from one, one Greek word. The, the word means to uh, actually an, an end or a goal. And it means something that has reached the goal means whole or full, sometimes it's translated complete, sometimes it's translated perfect. Um, this, I'm going to read you a few verses, we don't, we're not going to have time to look at them, just to see how this word is used in the scripture, and then we're going to see how it's used of, of believers in the scripture. In 1 Corinthians 13.10, this is the love chapter, it talks about when the perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away. Um, People have really discussed what this idea of perfect here is, uh, um, and uh, it's, a, it's a real uh, 
question in, in interpretation, but the idea is that something is complete or something is finished. Uh, we're not going to get into exactly what is finished here, but it talks about when the thing is finished or brought to completion. James 1.17, every good thing given in every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Here it's talking about perfect gifts or complete gifts. In this sense, it's almost talking about that which is perfect, what we think of the idea of perfect meaning. Romans 12.2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Why don't you turn to this one, 1 Corinthians 14.20, because this is the, in this use of the, of the word, it really has the idea of what it means when it's applied to believers or Christians. It says, Brethren, don't be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Uh, I think the New American Standard has mature. Old King James might have perfect. Um, some translations might have complete. But that's the word. That's the word that's used in, in, in uh, Ephesians 4, um, 13, the mature man. Here you can see it's, it's compared to an infant or someone that's immature as opposed to someone who is mature. Hebrews 5.14 uses it in the same way. It says, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses, senses trained to discern good and evil. If you would turn to Hebrews 6.1, it's another verse that refers to this. While you're turning there, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 2.6. Paul says, Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who... We do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are passing away. Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. James 1.4 says, Let endurance have its perfect result or complete result that you may be perfect or mature and complete lacking in nothing and we read Colossians 1:28, proclaiming him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete or mature in Christ so what does it mean to be complete or mature when it's applied to a believer well when it's used to believer, it's obviously in this life, it's not talking about sinless perfection. In heaven, we're going to be sinlessly perfect, but not while we're here. But it is talking about being spiritually uh, developed. Uh, that verse where it talks about infants and mature. Um, and I'll refer to this a little bit in a, in a little bit, but obviously the analogy of spiritual maturity there's an analogy in scripture to physical birth and maturity. And we see this in a, in a number of passages. And you can think of it in the same way. If, if, if someone is a baby, you don't expect the same thing as you expect as an adult. There's a, a maturing process. And the same is true spiritually. There's a maturing process. And it's this maturity is measured by a standard, and it, it's used in, a, in, in Scripture in a number of places. And I'll just use some of the terms that uh, it talks about. In, in, the, in the Ephesians 4.13 a passage, it talks about the fullness of Christ. That is, the, a stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. A stature which exemplifies or portrays the Lord Jesus Christ. In other places, it's, it's called... Christ likeness. In other places it's called being the image of Christ. And the one we saw in Romans 8:28 it's called being conformed to the image of his son. 
It has nothing to do, in, in physical years now, if you're a baby, it takes years to develop. We go through our youth and we go through our teenage years and then adult, and hopefully when we're adult, we're mature. Obviously, there are a number of adults that really aren't mature, if you think about it, but uh, it's a process of time. Spiritually speaking, it takes time, obviously, but being spiritually mature has nothing to do with the number of years you've been saved. It has to do with your spiritual development. In 1 Corinthians 3.1, Paul spoke to the Corinthians and he said, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to what? Infants in Christ. He's speaking of them not being spiritually mature, but being spiritual infants. Now this was written to the Corinthians in about A.D. 55 or 56. Paul went to Corinth, preached the gospel there, and taught them for a year and a half in about A.D. 50 or 51. So he was writing to them about four to five years after he had ministered to them. He was expecting them, you see from this verse, he was expecting them not to be infants, but to be mature. So he was expecting them to have some sort of spiritual maturity beyond, in, beyond being an infant, spiritual infant, in at least three, four, four or five years. So it's not like it takes us 20 years to grow up as a, as a physical adult. Spiritually, Paul expected some results in a shorter number of years, four or five years. And what we see that maturity here is really... Um, and we're going to see some verses on this, but I want to make this point right at the outset. Maturity is really a process rather than an ultimate goal. Um, it's really something to keep striving for. Now, when you're an adult, you are mature. But you keep learning, and as an adult, you become, in effect, more mature. Spiritually speaking, it's the same process. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says, Paul said, not that I have already obtained it or I've already become perfect. And when he's talking about perfect there, he's talking about being mature. He's, that's the same word, by the way, that's used in, in, in Ephesians 4, 13. Uh, and the other verses that we looked at when, it, when it's translated mature. He hasn't become perfect, but I press on so that it may, I may lay hold of that which I was also laid of hold of by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what, is, what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote this, we would certainly consider him to be spiritually mature. But Paul was saying, I haven't arrived yet. It's a process of continual growth. So just to summarize a little bit, while we remain here on earth, God has one personal goal for you, to be like his son, to be conformed to the image of his son, which we would call spiritual maturity. At the outset, I'm going to ask you, is your goal the same as God's goal for you, God the Father's goal for you? What Paul strive for what the Lord Jesus Christ provided for us for. Just in the physical processes we've talked about, in order to reach maturity, you must be born physically, right? You grow. You grow by eating food, and you develop, and you mature, and you come into adulthood. Well, the analogy, spiritually speaking, is we're born spiritually, we're born again by the Spirit of God. We grow. How do we grow? By the Word of God. We're going to see that in a minute. And God's objective for us is through that growth we become spiritually mature. Now just like in physical growth or physical birth, there are evidences, right? There are evidences that a person has been born physically. He's breathing. He or she is breathing. There's evidences that they're growing, that they're maturing. There's evidences of adulthood, not just in physical appearance, but we, we think of, of, of character, of the character of adult, not being 
Paul said in another place, I don't speak as a child anymore. I speak like an adult. We expect that when we speak to an adult, there's going to be a certain amount of maturity there. Well, similar to physical maturity, there is a spiritual maturity. I mean, I said that before. Similar to physical evidences, there are spiritual evidences, okay? What are the spiritual evidences that one is born again? Well, we find those in 1 John. We have a new concept of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We have a new view towards sin. Sin around us and personal sin. We deal with sin in a different way than when we were, before we were born again. We have a desire and a knowledge for the word of God. And we have a desire to obey the word of God. We have a love for the people of God. Those are all found in 1 John. Evidences that we are born again. If you want to know if you're born again, read 1 John. It'll tell you exactly how you can know that you're born again. Similar to that, there are evidences of spiritual maturity. And that's where we want to concentrate today. Our goal is for to be spiritually mature. How do I know if I've arrived or if I am if I've, I've certainly come to, to realize that goal, at least in part, and how do I know what things should I be developing in my life to press on, as Paul said in Corinthians? Let me read Luke 8, 18, 10 through 12. I was going to have you look at it, but time is fleeting. Let me, let me read it. Two men went up to the temple to pray. You'll, you'll, you'll recognize this. One was a Pharisee. The other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. The Pharisee, th the Pharisee thought himself to be a spiritual man. We know for sure that he wasn't. Um, but what did he give as evidences of his spirituality? Well, I'm not like these sinners. I uh, go to church. You know, I attend temple, I go to church all the time, I fast, I give, I tithe, I pray. What more can there be? Are these really the evidences of spiritual maturity? Obviously not, because the Pharisee was not spiritually mature. He wasn't even born again, most likely. So if these things don't define what spiritual maturity is, what does? What could possibly show that I'm spiritual maturity? If spiritual maturity is God's purpose for me, and I desire, hopefully you desire, to fulfill that purpose, then how am I to evaluate whether I've reached the goal or if I'm in this process? And that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to find those, those in, in 1 Corinthians, I mean Ephesians chapter chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. 11 through 13... Paul tells you what Christ has provided, what the ultimate goal is, spiritual maturity. And then verses 14 through 16, he's going to tell us how we know, how we can evaluate ourselves as, as to whether we are reaching or whether we are approaching that goal of spiritual maturity. Ephesians 14 through, 4, 14 through 16. As a result, we are no longer to be children. See the analogy. Mature children. We're no longer to be children. Christ's goal for us. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. There you have the idea of growing up, spiritual maturity. From whom the whole body, being fitly, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So in verses 11 through 13, we saw that Christ gave gifted men for the purpose of equipping believers to really become spiritually mature. In 14 through 16, Paul gives four evidences, at least that's what I was able to pick out of these verses, that show up in the life of a spiritually mature person. If you consider yourself to be spiritually mature, 
There's going to be at least four evidences. There, there are others in Scripture, but we're going to concentrate on these four today. There are at least four evidences of whether you are truly spiritually mature. I'm going to give them to you, and then we're going to look at them a little bit in, in detail. And based on the time, I don't know how much we're going to get done, but we'll see. Number one, mature believers know doctrine. I'll explain that. Mature believers know doctrine. Two, mature believers know how to use their tongue. That's found in verse 15. Verse 16, mature believers serve. And also in verse 16, mature believers lovingly, lovingly build one another up. Verse 14, mature believers know doctrine. Now, as soon as we say that word doctrine, everybody says, ah, you know, I got to be a pastor to know doctrine. I got to go to school. I got to have a theolo uh, theology degree. Uh, that's not really what doctrine means. It scares many Christians because it so, sounds so theological, but in reality, the word doctrine comes from a Greek word which really means to teach or teaching. It's found in various forms, verb forms, um, noun forms, but it really just means instruction or teaching or the information that's taught. In Acts 2.42, you'll, you'll know this verse, you don't have to turn there. It says, of the new believers that were in Jerusalem after Pentecost, it says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The word teaching there is really the word, same basic word that's used doctrine here in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. And then also to fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. So doctrine is simply the teaching of the prophets and the apostles as recorded in the scriptures. That's the simplest way to put it. What is doctrine? It's New Testament doctrine is the teaching of the apostles as found in the scripture. Old Testament doctrine, teaching of the prophets as it's found in the scripture, the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, again, you don't have to turn there, but it says, listen to this, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul talking to Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and is it profitable for teaching. The word teaching there is the same word doctrine. Sometimes the scripture translates a teaching. I don't know why. Sometimes they translate a doctrine. But it's the same word. It's profitable. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you look at 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, the, the concept there for Timothy is that the word of God is able to bring him to maturity, spiritual maturity. That's really what it's talking about. So what, what should mark us as spiritually or mature Christians? Well, mature, mature Christians, spiritual Christians, know that Bible truth, that is doctrine, is necessary for them to grow. I mean, we, uh, I think uh, uh, this, this verse was even quoted this morning, perhaps. First Peter 2, 2, <clears throat> like newborn babes long or desire for the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up in respect to salvation. Uh, we all know that. We admit it, you know, intellectually, but we really don't pay a lot of attention to it. We don't bother to read our read the Bible. We don't bother to take advantage of, of classes. Uh, when uh, we had a class, a Christian growth class <clears throat> last uh, last year, major Bible doctrines, there were like five or six people in it. Nobody nobody cares about doctrine anymore. It seems, um, you know, we think about it intellectually. But that doesn't get down into our heart. So not only do mature believers know that Bible truth or doctrines is necessary for them to grow, mature Christians study and learn Bible truth. We read 2 Timothy 2.15. Um, I'm sorry, 
We're at 315. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Again, speaking to Timothy. Um, now we might say, well, that's Timothy. He was a pastor. But turn to Hebrews 5.11 through 14. what the writer of Hebrews had to say. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, and that word teacher is the same root word as doctrine, only it, it talks about the one teaching the doctrine. Same root word in the Greek. You have need for someone to teach you, and that's the verb form of doctrine, teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. And here's the, again the analogy between physical growth and spiritual growth. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He's an infant. He's a spiritual infant. Solid food, Bible doctrine, good teaching, is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained. Mature believers, a person who is mature, no matter where they are in their spiritual maturity, desire to learn and study the word of God because they realize that that's what's going to make them even more mature. So they don't simply read the word. Sometimes we think, hey, we're doing good when we get up and you know, read a chapter in the morning. They don't. Mature believers don't just read the word. They study the word. They, they study it personally and they take every advantage that they have of learning Bible truth, Bible doctrine. That's the purpose of our Christian growth classes. That's the purpose of our small groups. Get out and learn. Learn what the Word has to say. You cannot grow without the Word. Not only, however, do mature believers... Uh, study the word but as pastor chris mentioned this morning mature believers mature christians live the word james 1 be yourselves doers of the word and not only hearers because if you're a hearer only you delude yourself so a lot of people are involved in bible study bible learning but they don't live what they learn mature christians not only study it they live it. And not only do they live it, they stand firm on it. Mature Christians stand firm on Bible truth. They have firm biblical convictions. Ephesians 4, 14. No longer children, no longer infant. An infant goes wherever it's mom and dad take it. Some infant believers go wherever the next guy that supposedly speaks from the Bible, goes, right? Listen to the televangelist, well, he's got the right answer. Listen to this charismatic guy over, he's, he's got the right answer. Um, this healer over here, you know. They have no spiritual discernment whatsoever. That's because they have no biblical conviction. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul said, So then, brethren... Stand firm and hold to the traditions, and he's not talking about human traditions. He's talking about the, the traditions there that are passed on by the apostles, which you were taught. Again, that same root word, doctrine, to teach. Hold on to what you've been taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. We need to stand firm. First John 4, 1. Turn there, please. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit. How are you going to test the spirit? To see whether they're from God. How are you going to do that? If you don't know the word of God, if you don't have convictions built on the word of God. 
because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Second Peter 2.1 says, but false prophets also arose from among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly induce, introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. So mature Christians not only study the word of God, they live the word of God, and they stand firm on the word of God. They're not tossed to and fro by everything that comes down the pike. Every new teaching, every new televangelist or whatever that comes along. It's really amazing to see how many people profess to be mature Christians are easily led into unbiblical teaching. I leave one church, go to another church, they teach something else there, well, that's okay. No conviction whatsoever. If you don't have any conviction on the word, you might call yourself mature, but you're not really mature. That doesn't mean, by the way, that you can't change your position. Because, you know, we, we have to grow. As we continually grow, we realize new things. But we stand firm on the things that we know. What it does refer to is that you don't get sucked into following every new thing that comes down the pike. Because they, you know, people don't have any convictions built on the word of God. One other thing that I want to point out here. Mature Christians can defend Bible truth. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And in Jude 3, it says, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend. Now, Jude is just writing to normal believers, not pastors, not teachers. He's writing to normal believers. He said, I appeal that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once all handed down to the saints. So where are you? If I, were get, if I were to ask you to give me more than a two-sentence definition, for instance, of what the gospel is, what the baptism of the Spirit is, what does incarnation mean, what's reconciliation, what are your beliefs on the second coming of Christ, the atonement, what, what's involved in the atonement, baptism, what about baptismal re regeneration, what does it mean, mean to believe on Christ or to be born again? You know, more than just a, a one or two sentence parroting. If I, if I were to sit, ask you to sit down and give me a one page essay, what could you say about some of those truths? Those are just basic truths. How about, how can you know if you're born again? How does the Mosaic law apply to Christians? What would you say? You have to answer that for yourself. But if you consider yourself to, to be mature, I would expect you to be able to sit down and at least write a paragraph or two about every one of those Bible doctrines. If you can't, then you need to start studying the Word of God. Number two, already 10 to 12, we're not going to make it. But Mature believers know how to use their tongue. This is, this is a big one. Our speech and what we say is a major indicator of our spiritual maturity. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love. What does that mean? Speaking the truth in love. It's, it's an evidence of growing up into all aspects into him. It's an evidence of how well we've grown up spiritually to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. If you just look at the verse. James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but he deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. I'll just put it this way. If you think yourself to be spiritually mature, and you don't know how to control your tongue, you're deceiving yourself. James 3.2 says, even more pointedly, For we all stumble in many ways. Listen to this. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. That word perfect is exactly the same word as mature in Ephesians 4.13. He's able to bridle his old body as well. There's great power for good or bad. We know it. It's in the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life 
or in the power of the tongue. I'm just going to run through these because we're absolutely running out of time. Mature Christians, what does a mature Christian do with his tongue? He avoids sinful and harmful speech. Ephesians 4.29, we know it. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Malicious words, that is words that are hateful, harmful, hurtful, any slander, gossip, abusive speech, anything that demeans another person, that's crude or rude or vulgar or obscene, any corrupt talk, any lying, any sarcasm, which is really a form of lying, they're sin. We studied these in, uh, you know, the, in the uh, small group, respectable sins. They're, they're just plain sin. We don't like to admit that, but they are. If you're a mature believer, you will understand that there's sin and want to control your mouth. Now, we're not perfect, obviously, but when we do that, when we use our mouth that way, God convicts us and we get it straightened out. Immature believers deceive themselves by accepting that these types of, of sins with their tongue are really not that bad or important. That's, it. That's the bottom line. Mature believers know when to talk and know when to listen. <laughs> Proverbs says, Where there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. The heart of the righteous, and I'll put in there the mature, <laughs> ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. There's a time to speak and there's a time to be silent or shut your mouth, you know. Keep your mouth shut. James says everyone must be quick to what? Hear, slow to speak. The mature Christian realizes that it's far better to spend time, more time listening than talking. You talk to someone... Do they talk more than they listen? Chances are you've got a problem with the tongue. Mature Christians are good listeners. If you want advice, if you want to talk to someone, who do you go to? You go to someone that's going to listen to you, ponder what you say, and then try to give you some good advice. I, I, I submit you're, you're, you're trying to find a, 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 a Christian who is mature. Mature Christians tell you the truth, not what you want to hear. And you're going to go to someone that you want to tell you. Now, sometimes we don't like to receive it. <laughs> but Proverbs 27, 6 tell, says that the faithful are the, wounds are a, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You can count on a mature believer to be honest with you. They will not exhort, they will, will not ex ignore sin in your life or problems that you might be having. But neither will they, uh, they'll admonish you and correct you, but neither will they demean you or put you down. You know, you, you, you know you can go for people with advice, for advice, right? And while they give you advice, they, they make you feel about this tall. A mature Christian will do, speaking the truth in love. Got a couple more points, but let me just summarize by this. Speaking the truth in love is saying what is honest, what is needful, what is appropriate in order to help a person without insulting them or making them feel inferior. Let me repeat that. Speaking the truth in love is saying what is honest, needful, and appropriate in order to help a person without insulting them or making them feel inferior. If that's the type of speech you have, then you're exhibiting the signs of a mature believer. Do other believers look to you for words of wisdom and encouragement? If we recorded everything that you said, public and private, in the last week, and played it back for everyone to hear, how would it go? Would it show your spiritual maturity 
or your immaturity. I'm just going to be able to say, the, give you the last couple here, a couple points, and then we'll have to close. Mature believers serve. The whole body being fitly, this is Ephesians 4.16, the whole body being fitly, being fitted and held together by, by what, what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. The body is designed so that we all have a job to do. Problem is, most of us aren't doing what God wants us to do. That's the bottom line. Why does the church suffer? Simply because we're not doing what God wants us to do. Mature Christians serve Christ's body. That is the church. Both local and universal. Local within to build up and universal without in terms of evangelism and also to build up. Many professing Christians today are just doing their own thing and they've lost purpose of Christ. Uh, they've lost focus of Christ's pur purpose on earth and that is to build his church. We see that in Matthew 16, 18. Any true spiritual activity has but one goal, to help build up the church of Jesus Christ. Christ's command is for every believer to be involved. And what does this mean for the mature believer? Just let me run through them. i got a number of verses, but I just want to uh, leave these with you. Mature Christians know their spiritual gift. Do you know your spiritual gift? If you don't know your spiritual gift, you can't consider yourself mature. How, you, how do you know what you should be doing? And mature Christians use their spiritual gifts, and they serve. That's the, that's the bottom line, really. You can summarize it that way. Too many Christians are involved with the activities of this life, and they miss the purpose that they're here, and that is to serve Christ. They have no idea what their spiritual gift is, and they have little or no time for service, serving the church, serving Christ. That's not the mature Christian. The question is, how about you? How much time and resources are devoted to serving the body and serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Point four, mature believers lovingly build one another up. Ephesians 4.16 causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. For the building up of itself in love. The truth of the matter is that a lot of us are more concerned about ourselves than others. I mean, we have, we have the verses on the side of the, uh, of the sanctuary here. The whole concept is that we do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, Philippians 2, 3 through 5, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than ourselves. Normally we get that backward. We regard ourselves more important than everybody else. And that's just the bottom line. This is a hard thing because basically we're selfish people and we're proud people. And we went through this book on respectable sins in our, in our small groups. And almost every one of those sins traced back to one of those two problems, selfishness or pride. And that's why in Philippians 3, 3 through 5 it says, nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind. He summarizes it right there. Two problems, selfishness and pride. What are we going to do about it? Mature Christians, if you consider, consider yourself mature, mature Christians aren't selfish. They, don't any, they try not to do anything from selfishness or conceit. Now we're all selfish. So the, 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 to the degree that you've been able to get the victory over selfishness is the degree to where you've progressed in your spiritual maturity. The same thing with humility. The degree to which you've overcome your problem of pride in your life is the, the degree to which you, you've attained spiritual maturity. Not only are they not selfish and they're humble, but they look out for the welfare of others. You can, you, you can, you can do all that, but if you don't have love of others, looking out for others, it's, it's not going to do us any good. 
So mature Christians look out for the welfare of others. Philippians 2.4, don't merely look after your own personal interests, but the interest of others. It doesn't say you don't look after your own interests, but it does say that you also have to consider the interests and the, and, and other people. Many believers today look to churches for what they can get, right? Good preaching, children's ministries, uh, activities, am I going to be blessed when I go? Uh, on and on it goes. They don't even consider what they can give to a local assembly. Not, not, doesn't even enter their mind. Christianity is not all about getting. We know that. I mean, we understand that intellectually. But a lot of times we don't practice. But, but I want to say, neither is it about all giving. Uh, we, get the, we get the false or we get the imbalance that I'm supposed to give everything. Well, if the church, if the body is operating properly, you give, you use your spiritual gift to give. Other people use their to give, and they bless you and you bless them. Okay, that's, that's the way it ought to work. Most of the time, we want to be on the receiving end of this. We need to be a blessing, and we will be blessed. So a measure of our spiritual maturity is in direct proportion to the degree of how much more we're concerned about others than ourselves. How well we defeat the sin of selfishness and of pride. And the question to us is today, how much are you involved in building up the brethren? So we got four things, right? Mature believers know doctrine. Mature believers know how to use their tongue. Mature believers serve, and they lovingly build one another up. How does your life measure up? Where do you place your yourself this morning on the spiritual growth curve? Are you a spiritual baby? Are you a teen, a child, an adult? Maybe you haven't even begun. Maybe you're not a Christian at all. You're not born again. But the question this morning is not really so much of, of where you are, but it's been how long you've been there. <laughs> if you've been there a long time, you've got a problem. It's not where you are, but where you're going. You're not expected to be a spiritual adult, adult if you've been just saved a year. However, uh, we also see that people grow at different rates. The problem is, uh, the sad commentary uh, is that many who claim to be Christians, they're babies or children, and they just tread water. They don't go anywhere. They're not planning to go anywhere. They don't have the goal in view that God the Father has for us, to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's not in their thinking. Don't let that be in your thinking. Don't let that be you. So the question is, if you view these things, what are you going to do about it today? Let's, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time, as inadequately as I've presented it, but Lord, I pray that your spirit has been able to work among us, to show us where we are, what our purpose ought to be here on earth, and Lord, perhaps some, to make some decision of what we're going to do about it this morning. We thank you for the time. In Jesus' name, amen.